Chapter 27 of The Lone Wolf. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Lone Wolf by Louis Joseph Vance. Daybreak. The Englishman smiled cheerfully in response to Lanyard's cry of astonishment. In effect, he observed, stripping off his gauntlets, "'You're right, Mr. Lanyard. Wertheimer isn't my name, but it is so closely identified with my, um, insinuative personality as to warrant the misapprehension. I shan't demand an apology so long as you permit me to preserve an incognito which may yet prove somewhat useful.' "'Incognito,' Lanyard stammered, utterly discountenanced. "'Useful!' you have my meaning exactly although my work in paris is now ended there's no saying when it may not be convenient to be able to go back without establishing a new identity before lanyard replied to this the look of wonder in his eyes yielded to one of understanding scotland yard eh he queried curtly wertheimer bowed special agent he added i might have guessed if i'd had the wit of a goose lanyard affirmed bitterly but i must admit yes the englishman assented pleasantly i did pull your leg didn't i but not more than our other friends of course it's taken some time i had to establish myself firmly as a shining light of the swell mob over here before de morbihan would take me to his hospitable bosom i presume i'm to consider myself under arrest with a laugh the englishman shook his head vigorously no thank you he declared i've had too convincing proof of your distaste for interference in your affairs you fight too sincerely mr lanyard and i'm a tired sleuth this very morning as ever was i would need a week's rest to fit me for the job of taking you into custody a week and some able-bodied assistance but he amended with a graver countenance i will say this if you're in england a week hence i'll be tempted to undertake the job on general principles i don't in the least question the sincerity of your intention to behave yourself hereafter but as a servant of the king it's my duty to advise you that england would prefer you to start life anew as they say in another country several steamers sail for the states before the end of the week further details i leave entirely to your discretion but go you must he concluded firmly i understand said lanyard and would have said more but couldn't there was something suspiciously like a mist before his eyes avoiding the faces of his sweetheart and the englishman he turned aside put forth a hand blindly to a wing of the biplane to steady himself and stood with head bowed and limbs trembling moving quietly to his side the girl took his other hand and held it tight presently lanyard shook himself impatiently and lifted his head again sorry he said apologetic but your generosity when i was looking for nothing better than a rest was a bit too much for my nerves nonsense the englishman commented with brusque good humour we're all upset a drop of brandy will do us no end of good unbuttoning his leather surtout he produced a flask from an inner pocket filled its metal cup and offered it to the girl you first if you please miss shannon no i insist you positively need it she allowed herself to be persuaded drank coughed gasped and returned the cup which wertheimer promptly refilled and passed to lanyard the raw spirit stung like fire but proved an instant aid to the badly jangled nerves of the adventurer in another moment he was much more himself drinking in turn wertheimer put away the flask that's better he commented now i'll be able to cut along with this blessed machine without fretting over the fate of ekstrom but till now i haven't been able to forget he paused and drew a hand across his eyes it was then ekstrom you think lanyard demanded unquestionably de morbihan had learned i know of your bargain with ducroy and i know too that he and ekstrom spent each morning in the hangars at st germain after your sensational evasion it never entered my head of course that they had any such insane scheme brewing as that else i would never have so giddily arranged with ducroy 
through the surete, you understand, to take Vauquelin's place. Besides, who else could it have been? Not de Morbihan, for he's crippled for life, thanks to that affair in the Bois. Not Papineau, who was on his way to the Santé, last I saw of him. And never Bannon. He was dead before I left Paris for port aviation. Dead? Oh, quite, the Englishman affirmed nonchalantly. When we arrested him at three this morning, charged with complicity in the murder of Roddy, he flew into a passion that brought on a fatal hemorrhage. He died within ten minutes. There was a little silence. I may tell you, Mr. Lanyard, the Englishman resumed, looking up from the motor to which he was paying attentions with monkey wrench and oil can, that you were quite off your bat when you ridiculed the idea of the International Underworld Unlimited. Of course, if you hadn't laughed, I shouldn't feel quite as much respect for you as I do. In fact, the chances are you'd be in handcuffs or in a cell of the Santé this very minute. But, absurd as it sounded, and was, the underworld project was a pet hobby of Bannon's, who'd been the brains of a gang of criminals in New York for many years. He was a bit touched on the subject, a monomaniac, if you ask me, and his enthusiasm won de Morbihan and Papineau over, and me. He took a wonderful fancy to me, Bannon did. I really was the appointed first lieutenant in Gregg's stead. So you first won my sympathy by laughing at my offer, said Wernheimer, restoring the oil can to its place in the tool kit, wherein you were very wise. In fact, my personal feeling for you is one of growing esteem, if you'll permit me to say so. You've most of the makings of a man. Will you shake hands with a copper's nark? He gave Lanyard's hand a firm and friendly grasp and turned to the girl. "'Good-bye, Miss Shannon. I'm truly grateful for the assistance you gave us. Without you, we'd have been sadly handicapped. I understand you have sent in your resignation. It's too bad. The service will feel the loss of you. But I think you were right to leave us the circumstances considered. And now it's good-bye and good luck. I hope you may be happy. I'm sure you can't go far without coming across a high road or a village. But, for reasons not unconnected with my profession, I prefer to remain in ignorance of the way you go.' Releasing her hand, he stepped back, saluted the lovers with a smile and gave gesture and clambered briskly into the pilot's seat of the biplane. When firmly established, he turned the switch of the starting mechanism. The heavy, distinctive hum of the great motor filled that isolated hollow in the downs like the purring of a dynamo. With a final wave of his hand, Wertheimer grasped the starting lever. Its brutal deepening, the parrot stirred, shot forward abruptly. In two seconds it was fifty yards distance, its silhouette already blurred, its wheels lifting from the rim of the hollow. Then lightly it leaped, soared, parted the mist, vanished. For some time Lanyard and Lucy Shannon remained motionless, clinging together hand in hand, listening to the drone that presently dwindled to a mere thread of sound and died out altogether in the obscurity above them. Then, turning, they faced each other, smiling a trace uncertainly, a smile that said, So all that is finished, or perhaps we dreamed it. Suddenly, with a low cry, the girl gave herself to Lanyard's arms, and as this happened the mist parted and bright sunlight flooded the hollow in the downs. End of chapter 27. End of The Lone Wolf by Louis Joseph Vance.